Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. God gives us his word for a reason. Um, The word of God is powerful, quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. In Psalm chapter 119, God gives us a wonderful picture of how the word of God can work in our lives. In Psalm uh, chapter 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love this verse because it is a constant reminder to me of how the word of God works in my life. There are seasons in my life where it is a lamp to my feet. There There are times where God illuminates just what I need for today. Okay? Uh, that, that is the word picture that God gives us here, is a lamp unto my feet. And th- these are the days where, where God wants us to live by faith day by day. Too often we worry about tomorrow. But God wants us to live in the here and now. God wants us to live by faith right here and now. Then it says, and a light unto my path. And then there are times that God will illuminate the future for us and give us a just a glimpse into the future so that we can kind of see what he's doing in our lives. Always allowing us to see the here and now And then occasionally letting us see into the future. Letting us see maybe where God's taking us in the long haul of life. God wants us to live in the here and now and not worry about tomorrow. I personally believe, and I don't don't have any proof of this, just me. I, I believe that God, more often than not, it gives us the lamp unto our feet. We, we kind of live right here. I think that's the majority of what God does in our lives. But occasionally He'll open it up and we can see the future. And I, I believe it's for a couple reasons. One, I think it would scare us to death if we knew too much. You know, just saying. <clears throat> Uh, But the other reason, and I think this is the main reason, is God wants us to live by faith in the here and now and not worry about tomorrow. In the book of Genesis, we have been talking about this man named Joseph who who we have identified as being a a man of uh, resolve. Joseph is is a man who has lived his life, I believe, in the most part, by thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You know, Joseph was um, uh, thrown into the pit. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, He worked for Potiphar. He was lied about. Uh, 
He was thrown into prison and forgotten. Now, I don't know about you, but in in all of those scenarios, you have to live in the the here and now. Joseph, I believe, if, if, I, if I understand the Bible correctly and I understand this man's life, he lived the majority of his life as a lamp under my feet. He was a man who learned to live by faith. I'm sure that there were, there were days when Joseph would wake up and just struggle knowing that <clears throat> whatever was going on in his life was going to continue. And, you know, he, he would wake up when he was in prison, I'm sure, thinking, wow, another day. And I, I don't know, but I know if I were him, I would have asked the question, God, what are you doing? But Joseph was a man of resolve. He was a man who had chosen his path. But then there were times when the Word of God is a light unto my path. And, and in, the, in the life of Joseph, there, as a young man, there were a couple instances where God did give him a, a picture of the future. In, in, in Genesis chapter 37, we see here a couple of dreams that Joseph had. And those dreams are... Is, is God letting him see the future? So let's read in Genesis chapter 37, in verse 5. <clears throat> and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and Lo, my sheaf, uh, sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made uh, obeisance to me, uh, excuse me, to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for, for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and uh, told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And, uh, <clears throat> and he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Verse 11, And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the sayings. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, This morning, as we look at your word, we ask that it would be a light to our lives. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. To to those of you that know the story here, some of you may not, I don't know. 
Um, but uh, uh, you, <clears throat> uh, uh, Joseph's greatest struggle is yet to come. In fact, we're going to talk about Joseph's greatest struggle this morning. Um, Joseph's greatest struggle was not the fact that his brothers hated him. It wasn't the fact that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. It wasn't the fact that he was a slave and that he was put in prison and that he, he was lied about. All of these things, that was not Joseph's greatest struggle. Now, those were all struggles, guaranteed. But they were not Joseph's greatest struggles. You say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Last week when we talked about Joseph, we, we, we saw that Joseph was made prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful man in Egypt. And, and those of you that know the story know that Joseph's life from that point on was one of opulence and power and authority. And you say, wait a minute, how could his, his hardest struggle, his most difficult struggle, the greatest struggle of his life, be now. I have a question for you. What are the greatest struggles that you face? Are the greatest struggles that you face, are they external struggles or are they internal struggles? Internal. The greatest struggles that you and I face are the ones that nobody else can see, right? Those are the struggles that we, that we fight to get right in our lives. The title of my message this morning is Preparing for His Greatest Struggle. Preparing for His Greatest Struggle. Uh, can you put up slide number 13, please? Okay, here, here we have it. All of this, all of this, all the way up to, to where we are this morning. Everything in his life was just one thing after another. And, you know, we would put it this way in our 21st century vernacular. We would say, boy, that guy couldn't catch a break. I mean, every time he turned around, it was something new. But yet... To me, the, the, this morning, I, I'm saying that his greatest struggle is yet to come. And he's preparing for his greatest struggle. Hopefully, I have your interest peaked. That's my, that's my hope, anyway. Genesis chapter 41. Turn over to Genesis chapter 41, if you would, please. In verse 44, Genesis chapter 41 and verse 44. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his head or his foot in all the land of Egypt. Excuse me. And, uh, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, George. I have no idea how to say that. I, I tried. I, I worked at it. I, I even went online to 
get the 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 phonetic. Anyway, for our for our purposes this morning, it's George. Okay. <clears throat> um, and he gave him to wife uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest uh, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went out and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seventh plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up uh, the food in the cities and the food of the fields which was round about every city uh, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the uh, sand of the sea, every, uh, excuse me, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. And uh, uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has set, uh, God, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And then, then the name of the second was Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seventh year, uh, and the seven and the seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dart and the dearth was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried unto Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the people, excuse me, unto all. The Egyptians go unto Pharaoh, uh, Joseph, uh, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened and all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was so sore in the land. Here, Joseph's greatest struggle was not controlling the food supply. You know, many of us, as we read this, I can't imagine, I can't imagine the, the, the logistics of controlling the food supply. I, I, can't, I just can't imagine it. I can't imagine it doing it today, but doing it then without computers and and everything, uh, it would have been it would have been horrible. Joseph's greatest struggle was not feeding the people, but Joseph's struggle was an internal struggle. Joseph's struggle, his greatest struggle, was to forget and to forgive. 
to forget and to forgive. I believe Joseph was starting to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, if you would. Now, the dreams that we read about in Genesis chapter 37 were two dreams of Joseph being in great power and his brothers and his father and all of his family bowing down to him. And now Joseph has those two dreams of his past, and now Joseph has Pharaoh's two dreams, that he and he's starting to put it all together, and now Joseph has become the prime minister of Egypt. And I, I believe I don't I don't know, but I don't think Joseph has all the pieces yet, but he's understanding now, hey when the seven years of famine hit, my family is going to have to come to me for food. I think Joseph has figured that out. Let's talk about Asenath. Point number one. <clears throat> Preparing for his greatest struggle, uh, Asenath, his wife, plays an important part here in verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, George, and he gave him a wife, Asenath, and uh, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Now, the priest of On, uh, she was obviously his daughter, but he was the he was uh, connected with, we, we know this through history, um, that he was connected with the great temple of the sun, which is located near modern-day Cairo, if you're, if you're interested. But this marriage was, was strictly a diplomatic arrangement. Okay? Um, and I want you to think about this, because this is really important to understanding the life of Joseph. What kind of life did Joseph have? Okay, now he was a free man, right? Okay, he's the prime minister of Egypt. He could go anywhere he wanted to go. But let me ask you another question. Do you think Joseph had any friends? Probably not. Or if he did, there'd be very few. Do you think that Joseph had a normal relationship with his wife. Let me let me share something with you. <clears throat> Turn over to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43 and verse 31. This is when his brothers are are in Egypt and and all so on and so forth and now verse 31 says and he washed his face and went out and refreshed himself and said, set on bread. And they set on, uh, set, set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the, with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. This man, the, se the second most powerful man in Egypt, could not even eat a meal with his own wife. He could not have a meal with any of the people that worked for him, unless they happened to be Hebrew, which the likelihood of that is pretty, 
pretty slim. This is a lonely guy. This is a guy who did not live a normal life. I dare say that Joseph was probably one of the loneliest men in Egypt. But Asenath gave him two sons. And it's through these two sons that we get a glimpse into the heart of Joseph, that, it, that the struggle that's taking place in Joseph's life. As I said earlier, I believe that Joseph is starting to put all the pieces of all of this that's going on, what God is doing in his life. It's starting to come into focus, if you would. I don't think he's got it all together yet, but it, he's getting close. He's starting to figure it out. And forgetting and forgiving are the two most difficult things that any person will ever face. Joseph here, in a very public way, announces his heart's intention. Let's look at the first one. Point number two. Let's look at his first son, Manasseh. Manasseh. Look at verse 50. Um, yeah, verse, verse 50 of uh, chapter uh, 41. It says, And Joseph, uh, and unto Joseph were born two sons before uh, the years of famine came. And uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, uh, the uh, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In a very public way, Joseph was announcing that he was going to forget. Now, he, he was not saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to forget everything that my family did to me. I'm going to forget all of the events of the past. That's not what he's saying, because that's impossible. But what he is saying is he is not going to allow that hurt to control his life anymore. He's going to put it in the past. Warren Wearsby wrote this. He could have carried a grudge in his heart because the way his brothers had treated him. But grudges are like weeds in the garden or germs in a healthy body. They take over and they destroy. Joseph chose to forget, forget the pain and the suffering. He chose to do that. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Or in other words, I haven't figured it all out. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul figured it out. So did Joseph. We cannot live in the past. We have to let those things go. I have talked to many people through the years that struggle with forgetting. They, 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 the hurt is so deep. 
so deep. And I'm trust me, I am not. Please understand. I am not in any way, shape, or form, form trying to minimize the hurt that you've had in your life. That, that is not what I'm trying to do. But Joseph realized, Paul realized, that the first step in healing is forgetting. That's why his first, the name of his first son was called Manasseh. He chose to forget. We must choose to forget. For Joseph, it was, I, I think it was for him understanding the big picture, putting, starting to put all the pieces together. And then finally, at the end of Joseph's life, I, I think he, he, got it all, he got it all figured out when he said this in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it uh, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. You say, but how 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 do we connect with all this? And and I again I think the answer for us today is found in Philippians chapter three, verse fourteen, which we just read. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As long as we can put the hurt behind us and we can press toward the mark or we can focus on Jesus Christ, we can put all that behind us. Simply put, we can keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. I want to talk about the, the second son or the third point this morning. Ephraim. Ephraim. Look at verse 52. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The word, the name Ephraim literally means to be fruitful. Well, I have a, I, I, I have a, a contention to say. I, I believe you cannot be fruitful until you forgive. You can't do it. I have a quote here. I, I have a slide for you. Uh, I, I uh, actually came across this quote just this last week by Harold Vaughn. It, it says this, Joseph went from the pit to the prison to the palace because he did not allow a root of bitterness to spring up in his soul. He was able to be profitable. He was able to be fruitful because he was able to forgive. He was able to forget and to forgive. It is a two-step process. A person that cannot forgive cannot be fruitful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and whereby many be defiled. Sometime back I was asked to counsel a, a couple 
um, that are not part of our church. And I don't do that too often, but in this particular case I did. And um, uh, they were struggling and, and uh, I, I, I went to them and I said, okay, hey, I gave them some paper and I said, okay, I want you to write down what you think the problem of your marriage is. And, you know, they, they both kind of looked at me and, I, and so I encouraged them. Anyway, they, they wrote down what, what they thought the, the problem of their marriage was. And when I read them, I was absolutely amazed because they both said the same thing. I, I'm a little, a little side note here. Normally, we know what our problems are. A lot of a lot of counseling is just helping people find you know recognize it. But anyway, uh, they both said the exact same thing, and they both said they were struggling with forgiveness. But it wasn't what you think. They were struggling forgiving themselves for things that they had done in their relationship. They were both struggling with forgiving themselves. And I dare say, I won't do it, please don't raise your hand, but I dare say if I, if I, if I ask for a show of hands of how many people struggle with self-forgiveness, just about every hand would go up. Forgiveness is something that needs to take place in our hearts. And I read a I read an article recently. I wanted to share just the highlights. Excuse me, just the highlights with you because the the article was quite lengthy. But um, uh, how to forgive yourself? How how to forgive yourself? Number one, and there's there are ten points here. Number one, recognize the cost of unforgiveness. Recognize the cost of unforgiveness. The author said this, choosing not to forgive yourself will cost you your capacity to give and receive love. And that is an absolute, totally accurate statement. It was, it was, was reflected in this young couple that I was working with. Because they were unwilling to forgive themselves. They were unable to love and receive love from their from their partner the second point here is list your hurts oftentimes i will give people a, a piece of paper and say here write down all of your hurts just write them down why because if you if you can't identify them oftentimes you can't deal with them so if you're hurting this morning and you're struggling with forgiveness, self-forgiveness, go home and make a list of the things that you've done wrong. It helps. Number three, decide to forgive yourself. Joseph chose to forgive his, his family, his brothers. We need to decide to, to forgive ourselves. 
Number four, understand that there are consequences to our choices. And, and learn to deal with those consequences. Number five, and this is an important one, make peace with others. The reality is this, when, when uh, it, it is very likely that when you hurt yourself, you hurt others. And oftentimes when we forgive ourselves and we work through that process, there are people that we need to go and ask for forgiveness from. Often. Treat yourself, number six, treat yourself like someone else you love. You know, when, when somebody that you love comes to you and says, hey, will you forgive me because of whatever? More often than not, what do we say? Yes, I'll forgive you. No problem. Oftentimes, I, I'm, so, I'm so ignorant to a lot of things. Oftentimes, I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I didn't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But too often, we're not willing to do that for ourselves. Treat yourself like someone you love. Number seven, learn from your mistakes. That's kind of that should be an obvious one. Learn from your mistakes. Number eight, make a deliberate choice not to dwell on your past mistakes. I, and I think this is so important. What Joseph did is he he made a choice not to remember the hurt and the pain. But too often, what do we do? We allow these things to regurgitate in our minds and the hurt just stays and stays and stays. Talk to someone you trust. That's an important part. Get alone with somebody that you trust and, and, and that you can share your heart with them. And then number 10, Plan for who you want to become. Not who you are, but who you want to become. Forgiveness is an internal struggle that we all, we all struggle with it. At the beginning, I said that Joseph's greatest struggle was yet to come. The, the, the struggle of forgetting and forgiving. Now, I, I want you to think about this. As I as I as I as I read through this and I prayed and I and I, I kept I kept coming back. Why did he name his two sons that? Could could Joseph have just forgotten and forgive forgiven and just moved on with his life? Why did he have to name his kids what he named them? And, and I and I I didn't I don't know that I really struggled with, but I just thought about it. I kept thinking why. Then it dawned on me. Every time he called his kids' names, what was he doing? He was reminding himself, I need to, I need to forget. I need to forgive. Because what happens? We, we, we have flesh, do we not? And we need to be reminded to forgive and to forget. And I, I believe it was a conscious 
decision that Joseph made. I'm going to name my kids Manasseh and Ephraim so that I never forget my responsibility to forget and to forgive. Then I started thinking about it and I thought, wait a minute. Joseph knew because of the dreams and I I believe just God working in his heart and life. Joseph knew that he was going to see his brothers again one day. What do you think they thought when he introduced his son? Hey, Judah, I want you to meet Manasseh. And I want you to meet my other son, Ephraim. What kind of message was Joseph sending to his brothers? An incredible message. Joseph's decision to forget and to forgive was a decision that he wanted to make permanent. That's why he named his sons, I believe. That's why he named his sons the way he did. When we hold on to past hurts, it will always prevent us from moving forward. Always. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even for God, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, can we go back to verse 31, Chris, please? This is an important verse. Let all bitterness. Now, I'm not an English major, okay? I I barely made it through college, just saying. But I do know enough about English for this. With a comma and the ands and all that, it literally is saying, let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor, let all evil speaking be put away from you. Those of you that know English, am I right? There's no clause here. There's no clause here that says, okay, you can hang on to the, to the bitterness or the wrath or the anger or the clamor. You can hang on to some of that when people hurt you really, really bad. It doesn't say that. Or it doesn't say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Uh, if you do it to yourself, it's okay to be angry at yourself. It doesn't say that. It says to put it all away. Let all of these things be put away. Next, next verse, please, Chris. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Why should we put it all away? Because of what Christ did for you. Even forgiving ourselves. 
in closing, I want to I, I want to kind of bring it all together this morning. I believe there's an important lesson here. Joseph was a faithful servant. He was a model prisoner. And he was an outstanding government official. Okay, those three characteristics in the life of Joseph are exemplary. But the way he dealt with his brothers, the people that hurt him the deepest, was simply incredible. Because he was able and willing to forget, and because he was willing and able to forget, or forgive, he was able to forget and to forgive. Because he was able to do that, when his brothers did come, he was patient with them. He loved them. And he not only was patient with them and loved them, but he was able to bring them to repentance. And we'll see that as the story unfolds. We'll see it as it, as it progresses. The true story here, the true story, please get this, is not the fact that he was a great prime minister. The, the, the incredible true story here is that he was a man who walked with God. And he was able to forget and forgive. And because of that, his life impacted millions of, his, of their descendants. In fact... Because he was able to forget and forgive, his life is impacting people today. I believe this with all my heart. I could be wrong, but I believe this with all my heart. Had he not forgotten, had he not forgiven, we wouldn't be talking about him today. It is the thing that made him great. But I believe it was his greatest struggle in life. That internal struggle of forgetting and forgiving that so often consumes us. In closing, I want to ask you a question. What's going on in your life? Has God pricked your heart this morning? I, I don't know. I, I am convinced as I, as I was preparing I, uh, this message, I, I was, I'm absolutely convinced that this message was the message that we, Grace Baptist Church, needed this morning. My, my question to you is this. Is there anybody here struggling with forgiveness? 
self-forgiveness or forgiveness of others. If you are, the first step to forgiveness is to forget. What are you struggling with this morning? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. And let, let me ask you, quite honestly, with nobody looking around but me, is there anybody say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart this morning? Amen. 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 Now, we're not going to do an invitation like we normally do just because of the nature of the message this morning. But what I do want to do is we're going to, Ashley's going to play the piano and we're going to stand on our feet. But if you need to do business with God, you just do business right where you are. So as Ashley plays, let's all stand. And if you need to do business with God, you just stay seated in your chair. Or you can you can stand and pray. You can kneel and pray. You, you can do anything you want. But do business with God where you're at. Forgetting and forgiving. Joseph's greatest struggle. Quite honestly, it can be our greatest struggle too.